One, two. Check. Good morning, Firewheel family. How's everybody doing this morning? It is good to see your faces. We are glad that you are here and those of you who are joining us online. We know that you have many places you could be right now, but we believe that God has you here today for a specific purpose and a specific plan. Now, before I pray, I just want to read a passage of scripture to you that was kind of uh, on my heart this morning. Psalm 24, verse 3 says, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul up to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You notice a lot of times in scripture when people come into the presence of God, there's a humbling that takes place. There is a very keen awareness of our brokenness when we're in the presence of God. So we need God to cleanse us so that way we are and can come into his presence. So I'm gonna ask you all to stand, we're gonna go in and pray and ask God just to do that this morning, that he would give us clean hands and a pure heart so that way we can enter into worship and we can join together corporately today and be in the midst of his presence. So Lord, we do pray that you would give us clean hands and a pure heart. We come humbly before you Recognize our brokenness and our utter and complete need because we are dependent upon you. And Lord, the world has, you know, uh, things have transpired this week in all of our lives and things have been difficult, but we're here. That is something to be grateful for. And Lord, we know that where your people gather, you are present. And so Lord, that's what we ask today. We want to be fit to enter into your presence. So God, cleanse us where we need cleansing. I pray that you would cleanse our minds and cleanse our hearts, Lord. Refresh us and renew us with your spirit this morning. And I pray as we collectively lift our voices and our hearts before you, that you will be glory, that you will receive all glory, all honor, and all praise that you so rightly deserve from these humble, broken vessels. So Lord, we love you and we praise you, and we thank you that we are loved, and so we return that to you. In Jesus' most precious and holy name, we can pray. And all the people of God said... Amen. Good morning, good morning. Good God Almighty, I hope you'll find me. Praising your name no matter what comes. Cause I know where I'd be without your mercy. So I keep praising your name at the top of my lungs. Two, three, four. Well, I can't count the times I've called the name some broken night. And you showed up and patched me up like you do every time. Yeah. 
stop in the service and we're going to quiet things down and we're going to slow things down uh, I don't know if you can relate to this but there are times when uh, we'll be singing or I'll be reading scripture or be doing something and my mind starts to wander do you all do that do you all have a wandering mind as well oh well, I'm glad I'm not alone in that and um you know sometimes I get discouraged on that I'm like why can't I just concentrate why can't I just be present there goes something shiny, that's right. And I'm reminded that I'm frail, I'm, I'm a human. And uh, the Lord's not surprised by that. And so this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna take a moment, we're just going to sit quietly, and, and we're gonna have communion. And we're going to reflect, and we're going to do something rather ancient. Uh, but we're going to do it in the setting of where we're at right now, in our life right now, where we are at spiritually right now. And so we're going to have communion. If you do not have uh, the communion cup, please just raise your hand, and we'll make sure that we get communion to you. You just raise your hand up, and one of our ushers will bring it to you. Um, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, and then we are going to pray, and then we're going to have communion together. Paul writes this, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we approach you this morning desiring to slow down and to sit quietly and to reflect on what your Son has done for us. Father, in your scriptures, we are told that you so loved us, you not only sent your Son so that we may have life, you gave your Son to death so that we could be forgiven. We know that you are satisfied by what your son had done through his resurrection from the dead. And this morning, we are your children today because of what your son has done. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, we approach you together as a family of believers, together in your name. We are 
reminding ourselves, remembering what you have done for us on the cross, your work that paid for our sins, a satisfying work, and that through your death, burial, and resurrection, we have eternal life, we may approach the throne of grace, not through any work we have done, but through what you have done. And that work is confirmed in our lives through the Holy Spirit that resides within us. And so this morning, God, we worship you. We ask for forgiveness and cleansing for our sins, a refreshment of our spirit, and a return to spiritual sanity. We ask this in the most wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's open the top piece of cellophane, which is always easier said than done. Okay. I've heard some reports that this is not the favorite piece of bread. I have no comment. But it's what it symbolizes, right? Mm -hmm. So let's raise the bread. Lord Jesus, in remembrance, we eat. And we open the second container quickly. <laughs> we raise the cup. We're doing this together. Lord Jesus, in remembrance of what you've done for us, we drink. And we have just proclaimed the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection, and we anticipate his return. Amen? So let's stand together and let's continue our worship and our rejoicing. Oh. 
Good morning, Firewheel. We've got some work to do here around the church. Saturday, May 1st, will be an outdoor work day where we will be cleaning up the landscape and adding new plants, rocks, and mulch. If you are interested in helping, come on over at 8 a.m. with your gardening gloves and tools. Can you dig it? Discipleship is part of our church's DNA. So to help you grow in your walk with God, we offer several different adult Sunday morning Bible studies at 9.30 a.m. The porch is studying Habakkuk, the study is studying Acts, and the great room is studying Romans. These studies are also a great way to get to know more of your fellow firewheelers. There is so much going on in our lives today, and we would like to be in prayer with you through it all. The prayer room is open immediately following the second service, and some of our prayer team ready and waiting to pray with you. Prayer cards are also available and can be dropped off in any of our offering boxes. Or you can go online to the front page of the website and click on the prayer request graphic to submit a request. The staff, elders, and prayer team pray weekly for all requests received. For more information on anything going on around Firewheel, go online to firewheelfellowship.com or you can always check us out on social media. All right, let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. Nice. We are in the lovely little letter of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment. Um, I want to thank everyone who was a part of and who joined us on our prayer and vision walk. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we got to see something. And uh, this morning, I don't know if you saw it, but there's our playground. Y'all see that? I mean, you don't see it yet. It's just a little square with caution tape, and there's a little sign that says playground. But it's there. I mean, we can really do this. But something that was on my heart to share with you after our two weeks of prayer and vision walks is, is, is this statement right here. Before we do the big things, we have to first do the small things. You know, we all want to do the big things, big plans, and, and then we got to do the small things. Small things like what? Well, like attend. We need to attend. We need to be together. If we're going to do something as a church, we need to be together as a church. We need to plug in. To really plug in and, and make a commitment to grow in our spiritual lives. Like getting into the, the middle of the pack and not, not hanging out on the periphery. Let's really plug in. We need to invite. Right? Like if we're going to reach the least likelies, who do we need to invite? Yeah. We need to be welcoming. You know, that's not just the job for guest services. Family, if you're a part of Firewall, do you regularly attend here? No person should walk through these doors and not feel welcome. We should say hi to everybody and greet everybody. How many of y'all know the feeling? Have you ever been to a place for the first time ever? You ever done that? All of us have. That feels awesome, doesn't it? To walk into somewhere new for the first time and you're like, is someone going to say hi? Isn't it wonderful when we just walk up and say, hi, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we need to serve. 
Gosh, you know, Jesus, his purpose statement, I have not come to be served, but to serve and give my life. Like, we give it away. We serve one another, and, and we grow together, but we also give. You know, for some of us, this is the beginning of your spiritual life in a church. And I didn't know this stuff. I came into the church for the first time back in 2001. I had never been in a church before. I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, y'all could have been playing the spoons, and I would have thought that was normal. I just didn't know. And I began to be discipled in the church and in the scriptures and what it means to have a spiritual life. And one of the ways that I was discipled was in giving. I didn't understand that, that setting apart a portion of my regular income for the church was an act of worship. But I've learned that. And I've learned to take a portion from the very top and say, okay, Lord, this is for you. And this is for your service. And this is for your church. And what that does is it helps me orient that everything good is from the Lord. And I get to be of service. And so before we do the big things like build a big, beautiful playground, which we're going to see that. I, I just, I believe we're going to see that big, beautiful playground. And, and we're going to update some audiovisual stuff in here. And we're going to throw big parties for the community. We're going to reach people. We're going to do some really cool stuff. But before we do that, we got to do some of the small things. And let's, let's talk about our giving. So on average... Uh, what we, as far as taking care of salaries and taking care of the facility and hiring our next youth pastor, who we're, we're like really praying and we're seeking the Lord and we want to invest in youth ministry, we want to invest in children's ministry, we want to invest in discipleship ministry. Well, to do that, uh, on average weekly, we need $15,000 to do that, which sounds like an awful lot if it's coming out of one pocket, but when it's coming out of all of our pockets, that's not that much. And so this is what we're averaging each week, like sometimes below, sometimes above. Like, look at that. Wow. And we're averaging about 13,903. And so I want to encourage you in this part of your spiritual life to begin prioritizing, setting aside a portion for the church and for the work of the ministry. And we have these different ways of giving. You can give through mail. You can actually mail. Do you all use mail anymore? You all remember that? Remember envelopes and stamps? Every now and then I find a stamp. I'm like, oh, I better find a use for that. Uh, it says forever. I'm going to use it. Uh, you can mail in an offering or you can text the amount or you can give online. But we also have offering boxes along the walls. And it is an opportunity to say, yes, I am going to take ownership. I'm going to take ownership of this ministry. All right, now let's turn our attention. Can we amen that? Is that, can we amen? amen? Do we want to take ownership of this church? Do we want to really commit and be involved? Yeah. We can get excited about this. We can get excited because we can do some amazing things. So we're looking at 1 John 4, 7, and we're going to look through verse 12. And you all know we're in the series, Blank One Another. And we're asking the question, how should we fill in the blank. We, we began this journey a few weeks ago with Firewheel's Mad Libs, right? We remember this. And so the, the, these are the blanks. Next slide. There you go. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, everybody say thanks, Kevin. He's doing a great job back there. So Firewheel Mad Libs, there is a blank. Next one. 
Yeah, there is a blank in Rowlett, Texas named blank. This blank has incredible potential to blank, the blank, with blank, through blank, intentional blank, and loving blank. So let's fill in the blanks. There is a church in Rowlett, Texas named Firewheel Bible Fellowship. Family, this is a significant church. We're a part of something significant, bigger than ourselves. And what makes it significant? Because we love Jesus. We set apart our lives in worship. We come together as a gathering. We're not better than any other church. We are just a church. We get to be a part of the great global church. That makes Firewall Bible Fellowship significant. Bring that back up, Kevin. There it is. This church has incredible potential to reach the least likelies with who? With Jesus. We want to reach people who aren't being reached. Did you know that the greatest percentage of people in our neighborhoods and in our communities are unreached people? We don't actually have to go overseas to reach unreached people. There are least likelies who have never been invited to church, and we get to invite them. Reach the least likelies with Jesus through sound biblical teaching, intentional discipleship, and loving community. I love that. We can do this. And you know what? When we, when we fill in the blanks a certain way, we can, we can fulfill this. And so the question is, how should we fill in the blank? Well, when we say blank one another, we need to love one another and serve one another and encourage one another and harmonize with one another. And last week we began with love because love is the, the, the primary, right? Like if we're going to do anything right, let's get love right. And flowing from loving one another flows all of the other one another's of the scriptures. We saw last week that we are to love one another as Jesus has loved us. How has Jesus loved us? The cross. It is the greatest demonstration. It is the greatest declaration that we are loved by God. And we found out last week that we will be known by our love for one another. Did you know churches are known for many different things? But let fire will be known for love. Let that be the chatter in the community. Have you heard about that church fire above us? Oh yeah, they're a loving church. Let us be known for our love, not only for one another, but for the world. Well, this week we turn back to love. And it's really a duplicate passage of what we saw last week in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. And we looked at John 15, verses 12 through 13. Well, we're looking at a passage that's almost identical in 1 John chapter 4. The lovely little letter of John, uh, 1 John, is saturated with love. In five chapters, love, the word love is used 43 times. People call John the love pastor, the pastor of love. Everything he wrote was saturated in it. I had a wonderful phone call this week from a gentleman who used to be a part of the church. And he called me up. He said, Chris, I, I've got a family member who's going through a real trial right now. And you preached a message on love years ago. 
And he said, it was something like, love comes down, love goes up, and love goes out. And I, and I was sitting there kind of remembering, yeah, love comes down. Jesus came down. He died on the cross. We received Jesus. Our love goes up to God, and our love goes out to the rest of the world. He goes, do you remember that message? I was like, no, not really. <laughs> it sounds good, though. And he goes, you know, I just wanted to tell you, and this is the greatest compliment I have been paid in a long time. He said, Chris, you're, you're a love pastor. And I was like, thank you. Like, if, if at the end of my ministry, however long that is, however long the Lord lets me have, my prayer is that it is a ministry of love. That was John's heartbeat. Love should be the main thing. 1 John 4, 7, the apostle begins, I love this little word, beloved. It's the Greek word agape toss. Y'all can kind of make a connection. Some of you all heard of the word agape, a God love. And he's like, beloved, agape toss. It means to be deeply and dearly loved. You are the beloved. You are deeply and dearly loved, first by God, but let it be that we are deeply loved by one another. John says, beloved, you loved ones. And I love what he says next. He says, let us, let us do something. This is like a call to action. We can do this together. Let us, what? Love one another. I love that he uses the word us. He's not like you. He's not like you love one another. No, he's like, he got into the middle of it and he goes, hey, y'all. I mean, he, I mean, that's the Texas version. Hey, y'all. Let us love one another. Let us love one another. And he tells us why. Because it's from God. Love is from God. That means God is the source of love. God is the source of love. Like backpack kid Russell Horning is the, the source of the floss. Y'all know, you know what I'm talking about, the floss dance? Y'all know this kid? You don't know what I'm talking about? So this traces all the way back, this ubiquitous dance of like 2016 through 18. August 18th, 2016 was when it went up on YouTube and it just it blew up and it was everywhere and I, I took time to learn it. And by the time I learned it, my kids told me it was uncool. <laughs> but we can trace it all the way back. And when we trace love all the way back to the source, when it like got first posted, we trace it all the way back to God, God himself. He is the source. He is the headwaters of love. That is where love comes from. Love doesn't come from us. We don't create love. And I, and I want to apologize to the baby boomers in the house. Sorry, y'all. The 60s hippie movement, that, you all did not create love. That, that drug-induced flesh fest or whatever that was. <laughs> love you, baby boomers. You were loved. That was not the source of love. In fact, here, check this out, family. We as humanity cannot be the source of love. We are, in fact, just the vessels. Just like a cup is not the source of the liquid to which is poured into it, we, our human hearts, are just the vessels. 
to which the love of God is poured in. That is why we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, that when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we receive His love. The love of God is poured into our hearts through the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. And when God's love floods our hearts, it flows out of our life. God's love should, should fill this place. Because we are together and we are full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, love flowing out of us is the one tangible evidence. It's the one fruit that others can see. That we are truly spiritually reborn. In fact, spiritual birth is evidenced by love for others. 1 John 4, 7, whoever loves has been born of who? of God, that is spiritual rebirth, that when in John 3, when Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and is having this spiritual conversation, and, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking of spiritual rebirth, that when we are born again, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, then we are to love because it reflects something, that we have a knowledge of God, and not just an intellectual knowledge, but an experiential knowledge. We know him. You see, when we truly know God, we will love. Loving others evidences more a knowledge of God than the raw ability to quote Scripture or the capacity to understand deep, theologically rich commentaries. Loving others evidences more a knowledge of God than the ability to plumb the depths of theological knowledge. That was one of the most startling things that I experienced, that I've, I've been in these deeply academic theological environments that were, that were deep-seated in theology and richness, but were lacking in love for one another. Just a knowledge of God is not enough. It is an intimacy of knowing Him. If we truly know God, if we really know Him, then then we will love one another. Because to know God is to know love. But I do want to say this. If there is no love, then we don't know God. If, you're, if there's like a, a spiritual flatline when it comes to love, like love flatline. If there is no love, then we don't know God. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. That's right. Thank you, Bryson. Because God is love. And when you hang out with God, you're going to love people. He has that way of rubbing off on us. It's the sign, it's the symptom, it's the reflection that we've been spending time with him. That's what it means to be light and salt. If a person's never swung a golf club, then they don't know golf. 
If a person's ever sat behind the wheel, then they don't know driving. If a person does, has not been married, they don't know marriage. You ever receive marriage advice from a dating couple? We appreciate your insights. <laughs> but we do not feel you know what you're talking about. <laughs> if we've not had children, we don't know parenting. Not experientially. And if we do not love, we do not know God. It's not just an intellectual knowledge. There's an experiential knowledge. If a person does not love, they don't know God because God is love. To know God is to know love. To know love is to give love. Because here's the radical reality, family. Love is always giving itself away. Love is not a, a seeking of self. It is always a giving self away. It is a giving thing. And in the scriptures, we find out that love is actually freedom and it's life. And when God, who is love, takes up residence in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we will love. So the question is, though, does that mean we're going to love at all times? No. <laughs> are, are there any people? There's probably nobody in your life that's hard to love. Do you have anybody in your, heart, in your life that's hard to love? No. I mean, I'm sure there's like one or two, right? You ever have somebody in your life that's hard to love? How about driving? Is it hard to love your fellow driver? How about the grocery store? Plowing towards that checkout. Hard to love in that situation? How about at work? Just another case of the Mondays, huh? Have that person that just, <laughs> here they come. Lord Jesus. <laughs> but I do want to say this. Before we get all whiny about how hard it is to love old so-and-so and that person and those people, let us stop just a little bit and deeply consider the extravagant lengths that God has gone to to love us. 1 John 4, 9. In this. In what? In this, the love of God was made manifest, put on display, that we should be able to scan history and see a moment, an event where God's love was put on display where it was declared, where it was demonstrated. And here it is, that God sent his only son into the world, that God in love sent his son, and he did it for a purpose. And we received that purpose statement, why did God send his son? So that we might live through him. You know what that tells me? Apart from him, we have no life.
that they, they, like a door, we, we have to enter into because we're like on the outside of something, but then the door opens and we enter through the door. And on one side is death, and on the other side is life. And God sent his son so that we would have that. And in fact, in this is love. In this one thing, you want to see a declaration, a demonstration, a manifestation of love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, what is that word? Propitiation. I know we use that all the time. This week, throw that down in a sentence. Lay down some money and, and be like, this is the propitiation for the bill. It's been satisfied. <laughs> Person next to you is going to be like, what? And then you explain what I'm about to just explain to you. You see, the gospel, it's the greatest love story. It's the greatest love story ever unfolded for humanity. For God so loved sinful humanity that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die on the cross. Jesus, though sinless and perfect, was punished in our place. The cross, it is a symbol of love but also be it of grace. For on that day at Golgotha, it is the king that took our place. To pay the just penalty for our sins, because not only does the scriptures record God is love, but we also know something else, that God is just. I will often hear people talk about God as love. And they'll say something to the effect, well, if God is love, how could he destine people to hell? What kind of loving God does that? Let me ask another question. What kind of God crushes his one and only son so that the rebellious can come into a personal relationship with him? A loving one. Humanity, we, we read in the scripture, stands guilty before a living God. We've broken his law, Romans 3.10. Not one is righteous, not one. There's got to be one, right? No. Not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and, and fall short of the glory of God. That, that is, it's an all-inclusive statement. What this is telling us and what the scriptures record is that we stand guilty before a holy God. And that demands justice. And family, let's, let's not pretend like we don't understand the concept of justice because we do. In fact, just this week, there was this like collective sense of relief. There was justice. When the verdict was read in the case of Derek Chauvin and the murder of George Floyd, guilty on all counts, and the cry out from culture was justice. 
See, there's something in us as humanity. We understand the concept of justice. Where does that come from? We understand the, the, the concept of guilty and justice. It's what it means that we are made in the image of God. We have an understanding of that. And so when sinful humanity stands before God guilty, what does that demand? Justice. So what does a loving God do? A loving God sends his one and only son, Jesus, to suffer and die for the world's sins, to pay the just penalty, which is death. Sin demands death. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so that the love and grace of God could be poured out on us. This is the greatest exchange in history. God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. Do you know how we know that? How do we know that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made? That is, by the way, the word propitiation, satisfied. How do we know that God was satisfied? Because he raised Jesus from the dead. Paid in full. Jesus picked up our tab. This week I invited a couple friends out to lunch. I fully intended to pay. I invited them. I was excited. Get to the restaurant, get out of the truck, reach for my wallet. Oh no. I don't have my wallet. So they pull up. I was like, hey, how's it going, guys? So, <laughs> you know how I said I was going to treat you guys to lunch? I have my wallet. I, I can't pay. Just go ahead and file out of the way the next time I invite you to lunch, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, But you know what my friend did? He said, I will pay for you. See, my friend picked up my tab. And, and that's what happened. That was my experience, that I approached God unable to pay. And for whatever reason, that didn't freak me out. Like, I understood that. For whatever reason, like, I looked at that, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And, and I, you know, like... For some reason, that's the big hurdle for people, this idea that I can't earn something, I can't make myself holy enough, I can't be good enough, and, and what kind of God would do that? And they get all caught up in that. That wasn't my trip. For whatever reason, I just believed. I was like, yeah, I can recognize I'm a sinner. Like, I, I recognize that. And, and I, for whatever reason, believed that Jesus Christ had died for my sins, and that he was buried, and he's risen. And I asked him, I, Lord Jesus, I believe, and I ask for forgiveness. And that it was the day where I was forgiven before a holy God. I was pronounced righteous in his presence. I was recipient of eternal life. His Holy Spirit came into my life. And there's this progressive work of sanctification that has started and continues. It's a miracle. And it's a work of love. 
And so when we, we wrap our minds around this, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were at our worst, Christ died for us. What does that mean? He paid. For who? Who's us? Everyone. In 1 John 2, 2, we read that Jesus is the propitiation for the world's sins, not just the select few. He died for us all. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And when we realize just how much God has done for us, what he was willing to do so that we can have life, real life, loving one another seems like a small ask. Doesn't it? Like, think of the lengths that God went to through his son Jesus. Think of the lengths that Jesus went to to love us. And then the thought of, like, loving one another, it seems pretty small. 1 John 4, 11, beloved, agapetos. Again, loved ones, dearly loved ones. If God so loved us, that is, if he loved us to such an extent, we also ought to love one another. That's just the reasonable response. That is a reasonable response to the extravagant love of God. And then we read, when we love one another, God is on display. Look at 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us that no one has ever seen God. But when we love, when we love one another, God is on display and others can see him by our love for one another. All people will know that we are his disciples. And so the, the, simple, uh, the simple concept here is let the world see God through our love for one another. Let the world see God through our love for one another. A few spiritual re recommendations. We, we kind of circle back to the very beginning. Let's do the small things first, right? I know we're pumped, like we're gonna build a we're gonna build a playground and we're gonna we're gonna do all these things. And yes, I believe we're gonna do those things. But we have to do the small things first. And I want to encourage you in this that time just takes time. And we're going to be patient and we're going to walk in faith with the Lord. And we're gonna see him reveal things as we walk together as a people of faith. And I want to encourage you in Galatians 6, 9, this is not just for us as a church, but for us individually. Let us not grow weary while we are doing good. For in due season, we're going to reap if we don't lose heart. Let's stay at it. Let's do the small things, and let's do them well. And we'll see God do the big things. Amen? Secondly, the love of God makes the impossible possible. I remember the day. I don't know if you have days like this, like you can remember the texture of them. I remember the day where my heart got absolutely rocked by the love of God. I don't know how to explain it, but I just felt like I was getting flooded by his love. And my first thought was, call my father. 
I called him in 2016, two weeks before he was getting incarcerated. And I lavished him in love. I was like, Dad, you don't know. God loves you so much. He gave his son. You were so loved. You were forgiven. You owe me nothing. And here is a man who, through just years of abuse and addiction and spiritual sickness, left a trail of tears and death behind him. And all he kept saying through sobs was, how could God love a screw-up like me? I was like, I know, but he, I don't know. He loves a screw-up like me. And I love you, and you were loved. And, and in that moment of just transparency and honesty, he invited Jesus into his life. He gave his life to Christ. Two years later, I got a call from the chaplain at the prison. My dad was on life support. Years of addiction, just taking its toll. And the chaplain asked, can, I, can we pull the plug? It was real blunt like that. I said, not till I get there. So I hopped in my truck, I grabbed a box of Pringles, and I grabbed some Red Bull. I don't know if you've ever combined those two things together, but it's a little crazy. <laughs> About 400 miles in, I was like, that was a bad decision. <laughs> I don't know what chemically was happening inside of me, but it was scary. Got to the hospital, Tucson, Arizona, ran up to the room, and there's my dad laying on life support, surrounded by armed guards shackled to the bed. And I got to sit with my father, and I got to tell him, Dad, you don't owe me a thing. And he didn't. And I got to love him out of this life into the presence of love. Here is a man who years prior, through teeth clenched, I would say, you can die and go to hell! And I got to sit with my father as he died and went to heaven. The love of God makes the impossible possible. It can break down the walls of resentment and bitterness. It can heal deep and ancient wounds. And it can reconcile a husband to a wife, a son to a father, a father to a daughter. It can bring healing and raise up the dead to life. The love of God makes the impossible possible, and if we know him, really know him, more and more our lives will be saturated in his love. See, I guess that what that guy said to me on the phone was right, like love comes down, love goes up, and love goes out. And I think that's what John meant when he simply said, let us love one another. For love is from God. So I just have one last thing to say this morning. You were loved. I don't know where you're at all spiritually. I, I rec well, I know a lot. It's crazy. You know, every, every years of ministry, I get to know you, and you invite me into your life. And that means I know there's real struggles here.
There's real chaos, real fear, real weariness, real burdens. And I know we're supposed to put on the Sunday polish. How you doing? Good, everything's good, everything's great. But I know that's not true. Because for many of you, I know you. And the one who knows you more is God. And this invitation is to every single person. We never get too mature for this. Some of us this morning do not have a relationship with God. Some of you do and have wandered away. And some of you do, but are right now going through a really hard time. The invitation is to all come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and the Lord Jesus will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him, for he is gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You are loved this morning. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we are invited to come weary and heavy laden. Thank goodness. Because if we had to have everything together and we had to be strong, I don't know if we could ever make it. But your love is strong. And you do love us. So much so you gave your son. If you have not received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior in the quietness of your heart, if you desire today to trust in him, to believe. And from the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for my sins on the cross. I believe you were buried, and I believe you've risen. Just like the Bible says, and just like Pastor Chris said this morning, that you were satisfied by what Jesus has done for me, Father. I ask for forgiveness today, and I invite you into my life. That is truly your heart's prayer. The Bible declares that you now sit forgiven, righteous before God. He is at peace with you. And you may be thinking, how could God love a person like you? Because God loves the world. And you're a part of that. <laughs> that is your heart's prayer. You've passed from death to life, to spiritual life. Welcome to the family. And if you were weary this morning, if you were heavy laden and burdened, and you need rest, let's briefly talk about that with the Lord. Lord, we are tired. We are weary and exhausted. How are we supposed to love like that when we feel like this? We ask this, this morning for a fresh filling of your love, a fresh filling of your grace, a fresh filling of your spiritual vitality. Holy breath, fill us. And we can leave this place in greater spiritual intimacy than when we entered. You tell us to come, we have come. You tell us weary and heavy laden, we've come weary, heavy laden. You say there's rest, you say there's comfort. We learn from you. Rest for our souls. We seek that from you, Lord Jesus.
We thank you for this day. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all, let's stand together. My prayer is that love would fill this place like a pool. <laughs> and we just swim in it every Sunday. It's time. It's time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Now let's carry that love outside of these doors while we're lavishing it on one another. Amen? Have a great week.